Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 1, starting with verse 11, and we'll be going all the way to the end of the chapter, and last Sunday's message was titled, Worth Fighting For. And this was, we kind of took some history, we had the map up there, uh, we looked at Galatians, which comes from Gaul. Gaul was France. Who was in France but the Celts? You know, every, you've heard of the Celts and the Druids. So it's so cool how we got to marry secular history or history with what the Bible says. And the Celts were fierce, warlike people, and they migrated. Um, many of them, many people in Ireland can trace their lineage back to the Celts. But the Celts also went south and east and ended up in Asia Minor, which is known today as modern-day Turkey. So the Apostle Paul took a chance. And it's amazing. Here's a guy, and if, the more you read about him, he probably was not very big of stature, probably maybe wasn't trained in self-defense, but he immersed himself into these Celtic people, and he gave them the gospel. And what was happening was the, the false teachers were coming in, and they were trying to... Uh, watered down the gospel, and the Apostle Paul was having no part of it. What I love about the man is his passion. He had a passion for the lost. And he didn't care if it meant his life was in danger. He would just go and do what the Lord called him to do. And you can see what type of an intense person is as we go into today uh, the messages of the power to change. So he goes from this, this fierce, intense, zealous, religious zealot, and then the Lord meets him on the road to Damascus, changes his heart, and then he becomes zealous for the things of Christ. And the power to change. You know, I often use this analogy, we can go to the movie theater and watch the movie, or we can be a part of the movie. And this is what I like to do on Sunday service, not to give you some remote discussion about something that happened thousands of years ago that doesn't affect you. My desire is for you to be a part of the movie, for you to be in it, okay? So we're going to take what we learned... And what we are going to learn this morning, the power to change and apply it to our own lives as well. You either believe it or you don't. You believe God is a big God who can do anything, or your God is a small God who's really not reflective of the God that we serve. Because he has the power to change us, change our circumstances, also change our hearts and how we deal with trials while we're going through difficulties. Right? And we'll look at this in two veins, external change and internal change. What is he doing in our heart? And what's going on outside and how we deal with others. So we'll jump in. Verse 11. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's remarkable. We'll talk about that. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. 
Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only, quote, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, end quote, and they glorified God in me. So what do we have here? We covered the urgency of the situation, the attack on the gospel, and the Apostle Paul's fierce defending of the gospel, and we're going to see more of that in chapter 2 as we continue next Sunday through this. It's actually very remarkable how he, you know, God just changed his life. And then he goes to the Jerusalem council, one of the earliest church councils, and he's defending the gospel because the, the false teachers were saying, well, these Gentiles, in order for them to become Christians, in order for them to become saved, they have to become Jewish first or observe a lot of these rites and rituals, and then they can go forward. So it's like... It's like a dance, you know, you're, you're, you're going forward, you're stepping back, and, and then if eventually you'll be where you need to be, where the gospel of salvation is actually very simple. Believing and trusting in what Jesus did on the cross, substitutionary death, he paid for our sins, that we believe and trust in that and we're saved. Any works or things that we want to do later is just as a result of it. It's called bearing spiritual fruit. So this is what you have. We spoke of other gospels. It's actually very fascinating over the years how many men and women have rose up and said, hey, I heard from Gabriel, I heard from Moroni, I heard from all these people, and uh, this is a new gospel. Well, Galatians 1, 8, 9, he says it twice, let that person be anathema, let them be accursed. And it's, 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 it's fascinating how later people did try to make a false gospel, and the Apostle Paul said, don't follow it. So, verses 11 through 12. I'll just go through it again. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the first uh, part of chapter 1, we covered three points. We did the overview, we did the salutation, identification. Okay. Now, the fourth point, the last two today, the fourth one is clarification. So the Apostle Paul makes clear what the gospel is and how it transforms his life. So let's look at this. The gospel was, number one, not according to man. Now, all religions are started by some man or some woman, none claiming deity, okay, unless maybe they're really off the wall, they're very fringe groups that even inter-religion, they say, well, that's, that's a cultish teaching. Their tombs venerated, right? How many tombs are venerated by religious leaders? Except Christ rose from the tomb. Maybe some people look at it as, a, or what they think it might have been, as a, a tourist attraction, but nobody venerates, real Christians don't venerate that tomb because it's empty. He's not in it. He rose from the dead. And to be a Christian, it's not about following rites and rituals. It's about having a relationship with the risen Christ, with Jesus Christ. Okay, Not about mindless observances. Two, he says... He received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this? It's after the ascension. Jesus rose from the dead, appeared to many. He strengthened his followers, and then he ascended into heaven. So this event comes afterwards, and it tells us that Christ, unlike religious founders, is fully God and still works in people's lives even after the resurrection and after the ascension. Fascinating. 
Some 2,000 years ago, Christ still works in the lives of his believers. Now, your experience doesn't have to be, as we go through the Apostle Paul's experience, yours doesn't have to be as dramatic. Nonetheless, it's, it's divine. Right? Romans 10.17, many people uh, come to Christ through hearing of the word. It's regenerative. Right? We can pray to God. We can get answers from God. He still wants to work in our lives if we're willing. You know? I, and listen, please don't take this as, a, as a, an assass- character assassination, but sometimes I meet people who consider themselves Christians and they, they say they don't pray. But this is, this is your creator. I just was uh, reading an article to Tim Tebow and uh, <laughs> how he takes a lot of heat and how his other players say, stop talking about Jesus all the time. And he makes the analogy, he goes, well, if you're married and you've been married for some time and you love your spouse, you talk about your spouse. He says, Jesus has saved me, right? We as believers are the bride of Christ. He goes, I I can't help but talk about Jesus Christ. And I think what he does is genuine. There's a lot of things you see in the world and in Christianity, and some of it's weird, but again, I've said before, he's a genuine, he's, he's the real deal. But for you and I, same thing. The Lord still desires to work in our life. And if you have a question about that, please talk to me after service, right? It's, it's, if we don't pray, boy, are we missing out on something. It's just almost like living with somebody who's your spouse and you, you guys never talk. And I'll tell you what, that usually leads to a breakdown of the relationship. 13. So he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. This young rabbi, this intense young rabbi, was going places. Now you're going to hear me, let me clarify this now so it's not confusing. He was Saul of Tarsus, the zealous rabbi. He was a Pharisee. You can read about the Pharisees. Jesus spoke about the Pharisees. Upon his conversion, his whole life changed, and including his name. His name now was Paul, who we know later on as the Apostle Paul. So I might flip back and forth between Saul and Paul. Understand, I'm talking about the same person. Although Paul is regenerate and he's alive to God, he's quickened his spirit, whereas Saul was, was dead in his trespasses and sin, but religious, thinking he had a relationship, although he didn't. So what do we find here? The Apostle Paul gives his testimony. I used to be this. Now some may say, well, Pastor Joe, that's not a, a good choice of words. But what I'll tell you is that Christians looked at him as a terrorist. He was a religious zealot. He says it himself. Right? Christians today in the Middle East are terrified of some of these terrorists who try to get them to convert or will kill you. This was Paul when he was Saul. Right? 2,000 years have changed, but people don't change. It's the same thing. And you know what? Some of these terrorists today are now Christians because the Lord made a dramatic impact in their life where they found the Bible and they started reading it. It is amazing what's going on, these testimonies. So the Apostle Paul gives his testimony. And, and we, we hear dramatic testimonies. And, and let me just say this. There's a, a long uh, list, a cadre of, of testimonies. With, with Paul, his was dramatic. He was a bad guy. He was a, a persecutor. And then some, I tell you what, a, a gentleman in this church, he... Uh, he was talking, we were talking a few months ago or a month ago, and he said, 
He goes, you know what? I grew up in the church. He goes, I grew up in denomination. He said that it wasn't until I started going to Calvary. Now, let me stop there. It isn't about our church. He could have, been, he could have gone to the Baptist church. He could have gone to any church where they're preaching the Bible. He goes, as I'm sitting here in this church listening to the true gospel, the word of God for years, which I really didn't hear in my other church, he goes, now I know I'm saved. So God did a conversion in this man. It's amazing. Growing up in religion, growing up in denomination. And here, well, to me, that, I find that, that to me is dramatic. To some, I say, well, that's, you know, I want to hear about the guy who was the serial killer or the mobster. Listen, any testimony is divine. So, right? Amen. Testimony. This is the Apostle Paul saying it. And I tell you what, he's really humble about it as well. Let's just go back into the Scripture. Just a few a few portions of Scripture in the book of Acts, just to talk about who we're dealing with. Now, some of you may say, you know, I grew up in denomination too, and I've never heard this type of preaching. I've never heard my minister go so deep into the Bible. So when you hear today, you might hear for the first time, say, I didn't know that about the Apostle Paul. So we're going to start with Acts 7, 58 through 60. Now, this is where they take Stephen after Jesus, of course, was martyred, Stephen, some say, you know, he's one of the earliest Christian martyrs, sweet guy, sweet character, and he's just trying to tell the people about Jesus, and they get so mad, and they cast him out of the city, and they, they kill him. So verse 58, it says, they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and it was a horrible way of killing somebody, as you could imagine, just pelting people with stones in the head until, you, until he died, until he had so much trauma that he ends up dying. Um, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he was an accomplice. And again, we get the impression that he wasn't of great stature, so he figured, I'll hold your clothes. I'll do whatever you got to do. Just get this guy. And they stoned Stephen, and as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, or euphemistic, for he died. And I'm sure that had an impression on Saul before he became Paul. We move further. Acts chapter 9. This is basically his testimony. Okay, Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Same guy, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, which is in Syria, by the way, Syria is a war-torn zone, but if you ever saw pictures of Syria, there's so much rich history, archaeology in Syria. It's a very ancient uh, country, and so is Damascus as a city. So that if he found any who were of the way, which was the word for Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Isn't that amazing? He didn't know the Lord. But he thought he did because he was religious. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Now, Jesus was speaking about his followers, but Jesus took it personally. He wasn't physically persecuting Jesus, but he was persecuting the disciples of Jesus. So he trembled, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. 
the Lord had temporarily blinded his eyes or just seeing some of this glory caused the eyes to not function for a time. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight. He neither, he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. It's amazing when we see these, uh, the Lord speaking to people. What's our response? Here I am. He's woken people up out of dreams to speak to them, maybe to, to, to not deal with the clutter of the, of the world and of everyday life. I was at uh, the prophet Samuel, same thing. He called them out of sleep, Samuel. And he didn't know. And then the third time, Eli said, that's God talking to you. Say, what, what do you need, Lord? What can I do for you? So he says, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to Ananias, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Okay, this part is, is so funny to me. Verse 13. Now Ananias is talking to God, to the Lord, and he says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's trying to tell God, Lord, in case you didn't know, this guy's really bad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Listen, don't tell me that we don't do that. God tells us to do something and we argue with him. Ananias should just say, got it, good, I'm gone. I'm going to take care of it. Lord, I need to tell you about this guy. He's not what you think. And maybe this isn't a good idea. But we as Christians, even today, can be so foolish when we argue with God. He goes on. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. And entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately felt, there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, was, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples of, at Damascus. You know, I don't want to go too deep into this, and this isn't in my notes, but I'm kind of thinking here that for the, all the reasons why he was blind for, those, for that time until Ananias can deal with him and, and lead him and such. And I wonder, sometimes those of us who are very intense people, we're very driven, we're very motivated, sometimes the Lord has to take our legs out from under us. And I think the Apostle Paul, I think Saul was blinded. He was like a little child now. Back in those days, they didn't have, you know, disability and, and, and you know, places where Braille was on there. And, and I think that's a great thing that we have. Saul was completely helpless. And for those three days, he fasted and, and he really considered his life. And I, as Christians, I think sometimes, listen, the Lord, we, we look at it, oh, I, I can't see or I, I, my, I need a surgery or this or that. The first thing I do is say to myself, all right, why is the Lord slowing me down? Why is the Lord, am I not listening to him? Am I running ahead of him? That's something to consider. Everything was going Saul's way. Last portion of scripture, Acts 22, verses 1 through 5. 
Remember, he was going places in life. There, I should have done a little bit more research on this. I know I can find it because I've read it in the past. I just can't remember the name. But there were Roman historians that spoke about Paul. And they talked about his dramatic conversion. And of course, being unspiritual men, they didn't understand. How could this guy who was trying to kill Christians and arresting them and doing all these things, how, is, how has he become one? This doesn't, the world doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to the world. But we know it's by the Spirit of God. Right? When it's your time and the Lord calls you, you need to get up and you need to respond to it. Acts chapter 22. Now this is, you know, poor Paul, he's always getting in trouble. He's getting, he got arrested really because he, all he did was, again, like Stephen, he starts telling the crowd about Jesus. They get mad, they attack him, Roman guards come, they see a melee, not sure what to do, and they grab Paul thinking he's the troublemaker. So now he's got to give his defense. And he says, men, brethren, and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Kind of reminds me when I was a kid, the commercial for E.F. Hutton. My broker is E.F. Hutton, and he said, and all of a sudden everybody starts, stops talking. Oh, he's speaking Hebrew. We've got we to listen to this. No, there's something here. He says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you all are today. Speaking to religious Jewish people, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. As also the high priest bears me witness. He knows. Go ask him. He's, he's, he knows. I've been to Jerusalem. He, I took the paperwork. And I took the handcuffs and the flex cuffs. Man, I, I, I was motivated. And all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren. And I went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So here's a guy who studied under, again, it's just what I do. I always weave apologetics into my sermons. Because I'm always trying to reach the lost. I'm always trying to reach the doubter. But Gamaliel, who is this guy? Well, you can go into your secular history text. I believe he was the grandson of Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel, oh, that sounds familiar. Oh, Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Akiba, Rabbi Shammai. You know, if you're into that stuff, you know the different teachings. And Gamaliel is one of those, you know, historic figures that even devout Jews today, oh, yeah, I know who Gamaliel is. And Paul says, I studied under him. He was going places in life. And then the Lord Jesus meets him on the roads of Damascus and ruins his earthly plans, but saves his, his soul. Amen. So a few things that we learn about Paul, and eventually or Saul becomes Paul, but a few things. Number one, he sacrificed a lot to follow the Lord. He did. And as Christians, we need to sacrifice too. Sometimes as Christians, we want to be saved, but we want to keep everything that we had before we got saved. That's just not reality. And we fight. And, and Christians can be disobedient to the Lord. They can fight to hold on to certain things, but it will be reflective in their walk. So sacrifice, there must be, what have I sacrificed? And I look back at my life as a Christian and then as a pastor, what have I sacrificed? I've sacrificed a lot. That's been a rough road in some cases, but some refuse that sacrifice. They want to hold on to it, what they have. So two, Saul consented to the arrest, and, the arrest and death of Christians. And I would say this, that nobody is outside the possibility of salvation. So let me just say that again. Nobody is outside the possibility of salvation. So let's bring this into 2016. You know that boss who really gets on your nerves? <laughs> oh, a few of you have that, I see. Struck a nerve. 
or that coworker, or or um, you know, Uncle Albert at, at the holiday time, who's a physicist and taunts you about your faith in Jesus, or when you go to college, that classmate who's just constantly riding you about being a Christian, and they are not outside the possibility of salvation. So keep that in mind. Nobody is. Verse 15, going back to Galatians. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and again returned to Damascus. So the fifth and last portion, as we move towards the end of the chapter, is purification. There was another word called sanctification. And that word comes from to be made holy. And, and I remember teaching a sermon years ago, what's so scary about holiness? Christians get scared. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that I have to take a vow of silence? Trust me, that wouldn't work for me. <laughs> I'd be in sin every day. <laughs> so it, it's not like that. Sanctification is a process where the Lord tries to mold us in our character to make us look like, more like the one who saved us. He, he uses the Holy Spirit to be with us, in us, upon us, to do these things. And it's a process that God does over time. We need to relax, enjoy the Lord, and submit to that process of sanctification. But in verse 15, God at the appointed time, on God's timing, he called Saul through grace. Not because Saul was good, but because God is good. And if we're honest, we can say that about ourselves. When God called us, it wasn't because we were so wonderful and God says, I need you on my team. It's because God is good. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Some are afraid. They don't understand this whole thing of salvation. And, you know, Paul fought for the simplicity of the gospel. It's almost like if God would say spiritually, hey, I have this great amnesty program. Everybody's in prison. You're in prison to your sins. Um, I'm, my son's going to die on the cross. I'm going to snap, snap my fingers. And spiritually, all the prison gates are going to open, and you're free. And some people do this. The gates are open. They're so used to being in those gates that they're, they're afraid to take that step. Well, this is too good to be true. You're absolutely right. It is too good to be true. It is not about our merit. It's not about our goodness. It's not about how we could re repay it back with a low interest plan. It isn't about how the government's going to bail us out. Jesus did it all. And again, it's hard for us to understand that. But it is that simple. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, he says, Do not be ashamed. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. Do not be ashamed of, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Grace. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes I find the hardest people to reach are religious people. They don't get this. But I was always taught, I have to do this and I have to do that and these are the rules I have to follow and I could follow them. And you're telling me that I just have to trust in Christ. I, just, I still think I've got to do something. Whatever we want to do afterwards is because we love the Lord and we appreciate what he did. That's like when you're in a relationship with somebody and they're really giving back, there's reciprocity in the relationship. You want to just continue to do more for that person. And God did so much for us that we... 
it's just like we're like the energizer bunny. We just want to keep blessing him. Lord, how can I serve you? How can I reach other people? How can I minister? And that's that spiritual fruit spoken about in John 15. Verse 15, he says, God separated the Apostle Paul from his mother's womb. Now, this can have a double meaning. Of course, you know, we are one with, with our mothers when we're implanted in the uterus, right? And then when the mother gives birth, okay, you know, we're not sharing her blood. She's not taking our waste through the umbilical cord and all that. We're completely separate. So, you know, the, the mom kind of jettisons the, the baby out. All right, it's enough of you. Go, you know, this has been a rough nine, ten months. And uh, there we go. So the Apostle Paul was, was born by his mother, of course, and he was separated from the womb. God gave him physical life, but he also gave him spiritual life. He separated him. He sanctified him. He had plans for the Apostle Paul even while he was doing bad things. He knew eventually he was going to call him at the right time and he was going to respond to that calling. Jeremiah 1.5. I love this. God speaking to Jeremiah, who was, I, I take it he was timid, he was young, um, you know, he had a really hard ministry. God says to him, before I formed you in the womb, even before the implantation, the fertilization, amazing, I knew you. <laughs> before you were born, I sanctified you. And then he goes on and tells Jeremiah that I set you apart to be a prophet. But here's the cool thing. So, oh, Pastor Joe, you're not using that in the right context. Oh, yes, I am. Because here he says the same thing to Paul, and he does the same thing with us. He knew before eternity, you know, before he created, that I would be standing at this pulpit. If I knew that early in life, I would have panicked, and I would have gone as far away as I could to hide from the... I would have lived in a cave somewhere. I would have been completely terrified. But he does things with us slowly. You know, he, he works it in. It's pretty nice. He massages it in. He needs it in. Verse 16, God in his foresight had planned to use this zealous rabbi to preach to the Gentiles. Now, I digress for a moment. The title, The Power to Change. You see, let me just tell you about what the Pharisees did. Okay? The Pharisees, if a Gentile was walking in front of them and the wind was blowing from the Gentile to them, they would not stand behind them. If any of the dust from the Gentile or sweat or anything got on a, on a rabbi, a Pharisee, they would have to immediately go and wash that Gentile dust because they were defiled. Does the Bible speak about racism and bigotry? You, you bet it does. God told the religious Jews, I want you to reach the Gentiles. Something happened over many years where there was these sects of Judaism that had this ethnic hatred for the Gentiles. So here he is. He's taking a man who had no use for the Gentiles and says, you're going to be you're going, to, you're going to minister to them. You're going to love them. You're going to break bread with them. You are. Their arms are going to touch your arms. You're going to hug them. Imagine this when he was, you know, Saul the persecutor. No stinking way. All right, let's bring this to 2016. Do we all know that bigotry and racism and all that stuff is wrong? Of course we do. Does it happen in so many groups? Sure it does. Somebody has enough power, enough status, and they're going to get those people, those people. They're not my people back. What does the world do to combat racism and discrimination and stuff? What does the world do? It makes laws. See, I find this fascinating that the world 
is so contradictory because the world says you must not do these things. Yet, they talk to us about race. I actually hate that word, but I have to use it because we understand that word because it's a word in our vernacular. Race indicates that the white man has to stay ahead of the black man and the Asian man, and the Asian man has to stay ahead of the white man and the black man, and so, so on and so forth. So the world teaches us this, these terms, and then you, it's kind of funny, it's almost like a play on words because of a race, like running a race. We've got to beat out the people that aren't like us. So the world teaches us that we're not a family, that we have to beat out the others, but then they tell us that we shouldn't be racist. That's ridiculous. The Bible teaches us that we're all from the same family. And I've seen people come to Christ and change their hearts. Racists of all colors, ethnicities, stripes, and colors start sitting with people and breaking bread with those that they would never do before. Now, for those on the CD or on the website, if you could see this church, you could see that there's a lot of different people in this church. I don't, I don't have a law anywhere. I don't have the federal law that says everybody must play together and we have to have quotas and stuff. People just come into this church that are different and they feel comfortable with others that don't look like them, but we're all under the same family. But the world says Christianity is bad. We don't want God in schools. We don't want, okay, so you're teaching kids to grow up in a school, in an environment where when the one that looks different, don't be like them and try to beat them out in life. To me, that's suicidal as, as a society, and it's only getting worse. Christianity is the answer. Okay, <laughs> so, you know, Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament told the Jewish people that there would be, there would, a time would come where the law of God would be written on their hearts. You don't have to tell your neighbor, know the law, know the Ten Commandments. And the Jewish people at the time didn't really understand that, but it was through Christ. Right? It was a new thing. We're not saved by the law, but when we become believers in God, we desire to follow what God wants us to follow. Verse 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul said, he didn't confer with flesh and blood, he went to God first. He went to Arabia, which would have, we, what we know today is the Arabian Peninsula, it's uh, you know Saudi Arabia and those countries before they were Saudi Arabia and those countries. So he goes a long way to just be alone with the God that he never knew. His long-lost father. And that's what happens when the Spirit quickens us, or when God quickens our spirit and we become alive spiritually, we want to make up lost time. Now, I can tell you, you know, it's this kind of God consciousness, and I know that the Eastern people or the Eastern religions really ruin God consciousness, but for our understanding, it's that when we become born again, we understand God's always there. He's with me. He's, he sees everything. He hears my cries. And again, before I was a Christian, and I, this isn't pretty, but um, it was usually on a Saturday morning with a horrible hangover, and my insides were just throwing up and, and putting my face in something that's meant for your derriere. It wasn't pretty, but just constantly throwing up because of abusing my body with alcohol. And God's completely changed. I have no desire for alcohol anymore. And if somebody's drinking in front of me, it, it doesn't do anything for me. But the point is, I would cry out to God when I was in trouble. I would cry out to God when I was sick. And then when I was better, I forget about him again until the next tragedy. That's not God consciousness. That's grabbing for straws when you're in quicksand. However, when I became born again, I understand every day that he's with me. He's always walking with me. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. 
And I would just say this, every Christian needs to have an Arabian experience. And what do I mean by that? Yes, join a church. Yes, learn. Go to a place where you're learning the Word of God. However, many become Christians and are too ready to jump into the Christian culture. Now, I don't, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about going into, well, there's this and there's that and all these Christians. And, every, and what happens is we start to pick up bad habits. Well, I'm going to read this Christian book and that Christian book. Start with the Bible. I have people come to me, well, I read T.D. Jakes' book, and I read Joel Osteen's book, and I read this one's book, and Joyce Meyer's book, and I'm confused. Oh, well, you're going to be confused. And you certainly are going to be confused. And I'm having a tragedy in my life, and I was told I read this, I don't have enough faith. Will you please get rid of that thing? <laughs> and don't give it to anybody, for heaven's sake. But the point is that, that we need to have an Arabian experience. To, to, and for me, it was I felt ripped off. I, I was ripped off by religion for 20-something years in my life, and I just wanted to know this God, and I kept reading his word, and I was praying because I was just excited for this new relationship that I never had before. Verse 17. The Apostle Paul, he didn't get this revelation from the Apostles, or it's right, from the Apostles, but by Jesus only. And you might wonder why he keeps almost defending himself, because as I said last Sunday, the false teachers were putting in this, this surreptitious teaching, this bad teaching that was not the gospel of salvation. And, and I remember saying this, it's part and parcel. If you want to attack the teaching, you have to attack the teacher. Okay, if you want to attack the teacher, you have to attack the teaching. So along with the, the attacking of the, of the freeness and the grace of the gospel and the simplicity, they were attacking the apostle Paul too. And he's saying, look, this was my testimony. I didn't confer. I didn't go to some seminar. I didn't get involved in a denomination. This was all came from the Lord. Verse 18, last few verses, or actually three verses and then four left. It says, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. So you can see these things happening in his life with his testimony as we go through the next few chapters. Number one, conversion. So what does this all mean, Pastor Joe? Well, conversion. You know, you're reading the word. You're like, wow, I want that. I, I guess I don't. And people do. They come to the conclusion after coming to a sermon where they're reading the word. And they go, you know what? I, I don't really know God. Wow, he just helped to make me understand that. But I, I do want that. God's quickening your spirit. So number one, conversion. Two, alone time with God. Three, learning. Four, praying. And then we see these things with Barnabas and the other awesome men of God that went before Paul. Discipleship, accountability, and as Gary said this morning, serving. Okay? It's this, to me, it's a recipe for a very delicious cake. The main ingredient is the flour. That's God. It's the whole reason, you know? And then everything else are nice accoutrements to those other pieces and ingredients that go into this recipe. Twenty-one. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to, to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy in me, and they glorified God in me. So whoever put the chapter delineations many years later here did an awesome job, because that's where we're going to end. Hey, do you hear? It's, it's not gossip. It's, it's good, good gossip. It's good communication. Hey, did you hear that guy? Man, he used to, oh, he rested so, and he went to Syria, and 
he's a Christian now. No, can't be. No, really, he is. I mean, he's serious. Like, he's preaching the word, and he knows the gospel, and, and, just, and what do they do? They, they praise God. They glorify God because what he did in Paul with this dramatic turnover. There must be evidence at some point as a believer that we are believers. And again, that goes to John 15. Jesus speaks about the vine and the branches. Very convicting, very strong. The Apostle Paul was a changed man. Many of you sitting here are changed people. Don't worry about it. I've been a Christian for a year and I don't see the change. First of all, other people will see the change in you. You might. You see yourself in the mirror every day. I, I looked at a picture of myself 20 years ago. I'm like, <gasps> where did the time go? You know what I'm saying? That's frightening. <laughs> so, but I see myself in the mirror every day. I fix my hair. I brush my teeth. You know, try to be presentable. Um, but it's, it's a very slow change. But somebody who hasn't seen me in 20 years will notice. that. Well, you got a lot of gray hair. Your hair, hairline's receding a little bit more. Hey, that's, that's part of life. <laughs> but, but we're changed people, and we may get down on ourselves. I want to encourage you with this. I've been a Christian for a year, two years. I, I don't see any difference. Well, other people will see the difference. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, if you're convicted about it, well, then ask the Lord, well, how can I? How can you work through me? How can I submit to this instead of resisting you all the time? I hate to say it, but sometimes trials do that. We don't like trials, but the lasting effects are pretty awesome. Two things. Change is internal. The spirit. Now, when your spirit is quickened and you have God consciousness, your mind starts to change. Your beliefs start to change. Your habits start to change. It's all up there. But it has to start with your spirit. Okay? Now, let's look at external. Circumstances will change. You will lose friends. Trust me. Associates. They will be irritated that you love God. They'll be irritated that you don't do the things that they do all the time. I see a lot of smiles. <laughs> I, have good, I can see pretty well up here. Uh, trials. We'll have trials, but how do we handle those trials? Habits. Right? Starts in the mind, goes out to the hands and the feet. That's what habits do. They start up here in the brain, the mind, and they move out externally. When our spirit is changed and our mind starts to change, our belief and our thinking starts to change, then our actions start to change too. And the last one for external is sacrifice. And the Holy Spirit will convict us. He'll say, you know, you've been a Christian for five years. You really need to give that up. If we're really listening to God, he'll say things like that to us. And we have to make a choice. Do I want to honor God or do I want to hold on to that? Sacrifice. So we look at this internally. Testimony, right? Change, we can change, but we have to put effort into it. For me, it was, you know, and I only, you know, it's funny, when I was involved in it, you know, listen, my parents got divorced, teenage years weren't great, turned alcohol. I didn't think I had a problem, drinking for a long time. I became a Christian, looked back and go, well, I did have a problem. I really did have a problem. Um, I was very negative. I was stingy with money. Listen, some things I still have to deal with that God has to work out, and, and I do. I beg him. I ask him. I get convicted. I'm like, that's not worked out of me yet. But they changed. In your life, that can change as well. And I'm going to tell you this. When I think about addictions, I remember te teaching at a rehab, and a woman who struggled with alcohol as well, and she talked to me afterwards. She goes, so are you an alcoholic? 
You know what's funny? I never thought of myself as that, even as a Christian. And I, I actually, she stumped me. I was perplexed. Am I an alcoholic? And I looked at her. I said, you know, no, I'm not. I'm a new creature in Christ. God's taken that away from me. And he can do the same thing with you. And let me tell you something. I'm not against rehabs and counseling. I think rehabs are great uh, because if you can pull somebody off the street, the physiology starts to change. Okay, the body starts to heal. The desire for it starts to wane. So a, a person coming out of that, they need that. All right? They need time away from it. So it's not inside and they're craving it all the time. And uh, counseling is good as long as it's biblically based. Honestly, I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody, just never am. I will fight against what the world is teaching and, and I'm seeing it in the church too and I'm still fighting against it. I'm not going to tell somebody they're an addict. I don't believe in calling people names. And to me, that's calling you a name. If I call you an addict, it means that you can never get better. And I think that's a lie from the pit of hell. I, you know, I know too many people that have beat heroin, beat alcohol, and they did it through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not calling anybody names in this place. I refuse to do it. You either believe it or you don't believe it. One last thing before I go to the external. Uh, I was on Facebook and we were having a discussion about something on my wall and a couple that I knew from college, right? This young couple, uh, about my age. I still consider it young. <laughs> you know. <laughs> By their own admission, they're culturally Jewish, um, doing very well financially. And his wife was not, she wasn't being mean, but she was debating some things that I was saying. So then, of course, I told her about all the scriptures that I used. They came from the Old Testament, trying to stimulate her to read the Old Testament. And we're kind of going back and forth. And I, the last sentence I left was, let's just say this. You and your husband, I won't say their names, you knew me in college. And now you see a huge change because my wife and I went to their house once and they were like, you? <laughs> so I'm not going to give too many details, but... So basically, I said, you need to, I said that, you need to take that to prayer, you need to seek your Lord, because that is a change that only God can do. And that's where I left it, and I put a little smiley face emoticon, see, I know some of the terms, I'm not that archaic, but a changed life, and it's an awesome thing. Do I take credit? No, because I didn't even know I was in the, in the filth. It was God who had to reveal himself to me as he did to the Apostle Paul, as he did to many of you, as he will with many more of you. The last point. So we covered internal change, external change, circumstance, trials, and sacrifice. This is the part that even Christians don't like a lot of times. Again, I told you last Sunday, I don't pray, Lord, squeeze me and squish me and let the fragrance of Christ ooze out of me during this trial. I don't do that. I usually say, Lord, can, can this one pass over me? I really don't want this one coming down the pike. But our lives will change. Okay. I'm just going to read to you 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Now, this, is, this didn't all happen in one day. It didn't happen in one week. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians, looking back on his life and seeing how so many things changed negatively for him, temporally. But, of course, spiritually, the man was full of joy and intense about giving the Scripture. He says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, <laughs> danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, 
in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, some teachings today would say, oh, he didn't have faith. He, he, he was supposed to pray for that mansion at the end of the street, you know, that 300-year-old farmhouse that's been redone, and he just he should have prayed more. He should have stormed the, the, the throne room of heaven and demanded that God give him and have, use positive confession and say it over and over again as a mantra. No, that's not the case. That's why false teachers really don't want you to read all the Bible because you'll expose them through biblical teaching. But this is reality. In, in Luke 14, Jesus says to his followers, count the costs. He actually warns them before following him, count the costs. I want to make sure you know what you're getting into. Yeah, there's salvation, but you still have to live out the rest of the life, your life on this world. And if you are serving me, the world is not going to like it. So make sure you count the costs before you do this. And Christians today, they think, well, I'm going to become a Christian. Everything's going to be wonderful. I'm going to have fun, I'm going to have a great time, I'm going to do everything I can to avoid trials, and that is not reality. If you choose to serve God, you will face these things externally. So as we go into the new year, New Year's, I don't make them any more, by the way. I just ask the Lord to, whatever He wants to do with me, just let me in on it and, and strengthen me for it and just help me out here and just I just want to serve you but as we go into the new year with resolutions and promises and self-help techniques and boy they are flooding the market that's a multi-billion dollar industry and everything else the bottom line is when you boil it all down it is God's word and it is Christ that really possess the keys to the power of change let's pray You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.